Greetings. This episode is a little different. It's the first episode where I have a conversation, a dialogue with somebody, and I plan to do more of these. Um, And I had the opportunity and the privilege, and it really was a privilege, to speak with Deepak Chopra on this episode. Deepak Chopra is an MD, um, board certified in internal medicine, endocrinology, and metabolism. Um, He's a pioneer in the meditation movement. He worked very close to Maharishi in the transcendental meditation movement. He has written over 85 books that have been translated into 43 languages. Um, He's most notably collaborated with Oprah many times, um, teaching meditation and health in an integrative manner. And so we get into it a little bit. I hope there's a part two. Um, The conversation took place at the Chopra Center in Carlsbad, California. And this happened because Deepak and I were on a panel discussion in New York City and we had the opportunity to talk and he invited me and my love Megan to the Chopra Center in Carlsbad and this conversation took place in his office and um, take a listen at one point there's a guided meditation which I would encourage you to do with us um, oh and lastly we were Facebook living this conversation as well as recording it for the podcast so you may hear us reference um, the video or things like that Um, I hope you enjoy this is Deepak Chopra on what does this all mean okay here we are here we are we're live we're live and guess who I'm with Uh, uh, I'm with Mike Posner and he has a very interesting history uh, he's a rock star, <laughs> and uh, he's very well known, and he has a huge following. I heard that his last uh, iTunes uh, download was something like a billion downloads. So, Mike, uh, you're speaking now. You're in front of uh, my Facebook uh, audience and YouTube audience soon. Greetings. Uh, you'll be there as well. Uh, tell uh, everyone a little bit about your history, huh? and then we'll go from there. Sure. I'm from Detroit, Michigan originally, and uh, I started rapping when I was eight years old, and I started singing when I was 20 years old, and after making music for 12 years or so, I stumbled on a sound that was undoubtedly influenced by other people but was unmistakably mine for the Mm -hmm. first time and my music became popular when i was Mm -hmm. in my early 20s and i was was you're 20 29 29 almost 30 Mm -hmm. almost 30 and we were discussing a little bit just a moment ago at at 21 22 i encountered all the things that were supposed to make everything better for me and I'm referring, of course, to fame, money, notoriety, attention from the opposite sex. And these things, they didn't really change my experience of life. Hmm. Um, I wasn't, I wouldn't say they made my life worse, but they, 
explicitly didn't make it better. It was mm-hmm. just kind of the same. And so um, since then, I've I've had the privilege to ask the question, if not that, then what? what wh- why are we here? What does it mean to be human? And what does it mean to be a good human? And what's it mean to live a good life? And so you told me you've been um, in solitude and silence for one week. And you had some insights. A few. I had some, some moments of despair and un, unparalleled loneliness <laughs> as mm-hmm. well. Um, but, but I, yes, I spent seven days in, in solitude. And I wanted to find out who I was when I had nothing to do, nothing mm-hmm. to accomplish. And so I sit down and the first thing my mind did was try to make something up to do and accomplish. Mm-hmm. So I found myself pulled to organize the spices over in the kitchen area and then like run up the hill three times for exercise. And it, it made me question how much of my life am I actually just making up jobs to feel productive, mm-hmm. jobs that I don't actually care about. Mm-hmm. So that was that was one insight. Definitely. You have a podcast and this conversation is going on the podcast as well, right? Correct. Correct. But you're still writing and performing music. Yes, right? I'm 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 not touring right now, I'm making a new album mm-hmm. and um simultaneously I'm I'm recording the podcast, um, which is which is about asking those questions. And so each time I stumble upon a little insight i just want to share the the story of it okay um, so you're here a question for you, you are here today at yeah. the chopra center uh-huh. we're having this conversation and i'm feeling that you would be a great voice for um are you what they call a millennial Is I don't, how do you define that i don't know I have is no it idea. born after I've a certain heard, <laughs> I've heard this word a lot millennial. I think millennial means you're born after 2000 is that okay, right okay. so I'm not I was born okay. in 1988 okay <laughs> so anyway uh, wha- what I was thinking is you'd be a great voice along with some other people I've met to bring uh, you know what wisdom traditions call enlightenment to uh, to your generation and I would love to work with you I'd love that as well you know I also mentioned that once a year I do an experience called silent awakenings where everybody is silent except for me (laughs) I take a break of two hours to answer people's questions which they write down they don't speak them out so you're welcome to come to that and also here for you know week-long intensive one meditation I love that Okay. You said what does that word enlightenment mean? It's uh, historically it goes back to the time of the Buddha. You know the story of the Buddha, right? Yeah, but maybe not everyone here does. Okay, so and I probably don't know it as well as I should. Okay, so the Buddha before he became the Buddha was a young prince, born to a royal family. His name was Gautam except it was spelt differently, of course not in English. My son's name is Gautam, by the way, and Gautam these days means the enlightened one. Mm. And so he was a young prince, and his father, of course, wanted him to be the next king, the emperor, etc. 
and he loved him very much, but he didn't want his son to um, to experience any suffering at all. He didn't want him to even um, see suffering in anyone else. So he surrounded him with pleasure. In fact, he built a pleasure palace for him with girls and dancing girls and music. Kind of like how I did for myself. Yeah, but on a bigger scale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so y- the young prince had actually never seen suffering at all. He was surrounded by pleasure. One day he asked his best friend, who was a stable boy, and uh, you know he didn't have too many friends except those girls in the pleasure palace. This other boy was his best friend. His name was Chana. He used to look. He and his father would look at uh, look after the horses in the stable. So he said, "Can you take me outside the ramparts?" of the palace to see the city. And uh, he said, yeah, as long as you don't tell your dad, we'll go tonight. So in the middle of the night, they went into the city. And as they were going through the city, I mean, he had never seen the sights of an ordinary city. They saw a very old person Now, his father had made sure that no old people were around him either. So, How old is he at this point? He's 16. He's 16 and he's never seen anything but pleasure. Nothing but pleasure. Okay. So uh, he looks at his friend Chana and he says, what is that? And Chana says, that's a very, Chana's a man of the streets, a boy of the streets. He says, that's a very old man. Says, does everybody get old? He said, Yeah. He says, Will I get old? He says, Yes, you will. Maybe he wasn't sixteen. Maybe he was nineteen, twenty. I forget right now the exact age. Okay. So anyway, that night when they came back, he was up all night thinking about old age, and you know he didn't like the sight of this old man, man in decrepitude. They went out again the next night. And this time they saw a person who had leprosy, was all kind of bent out of shape, missing limbs, etc. He said, what is that? He said, that's that's a man with um, a bad disease. He says, does everybody get disease? He said, well, at some point, if you live long enough, almost everybody does get disease. What about me? Do you think I'll get disease? He says, yeah, if you live long enough, you will. Well, that's the second night. And then the third night, uh, as they were going, they saw a funeral procession. And um, they were taking a person, a corpse, to the burning ghats in India. They do cremations. And um, they were carrying this dead body, as they do. And on their shoulders, taking this corpse for cremation. He said, what is that? He said, that's a dead man. Mm. He says, Mm. does everybody die? He said, yes. He said, will I die? And Chana said, yes, you will die too. So the young prince after that was 
in existential crisis. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't sleep. He couldn't think about anything except the fact that life contains suffering. Now, people often quote him as saying life is suffering. Is suffering. He didn't say that. Okay, he said life contains suffering. Wow, that's a big well, distinction, right? Yeah, because life contains everything, right? I was with a friend yesterday that quoted him incorrectly. Yes, yeah. most people do. Well, now I know it's incorrectly. Yeah. So life contains suffering is what he came to conclude. And so one day, a few years later actually, not immediately, he left the royal palace in the middle of the night. I'll give you my book, which I wrote about the Buddha. And What's the title? Buddha. Buddha. A Story of Enlightenment. Wow. Okay. That's what it's called. So... Um, he went out in search of truth and the cure to suffering. And he tried everything. He tried yoga. He tried all the breathing techniques. He starved himself. He did everything. He consulted great scholars and teachers and sages. He couldn't find a solution. And then as um, it happened over a course of time, actually he almost died from starvation. He was eating like a grain of rice a day, right? right? Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, and he was ultimately, a young girl actually saw him and she force-fed him and he recovered. And so what is he doing in this time? He's trying to figure out, like me, if not the pleasure, then what? And so he goes, What? correct me if I'm wrong, he goes from the ditch on the right side of the road to the ditch on the left side? <laughs> That's right. Goes so he rejects way. all pleasure, kind of, in a he way. He rejects all pleasure, and he finds that, you know, sacrifice and pain is also not a solution. Mm -hmm. And all these practices, which we are very important practices, yoga and breathing, this is what we do here. Yoga, breathing, meditation, we teach all of that. At the Chopra Center. At the center. Yeah. But, you know, he ultimately gave up even on that. And so... What, so he, he, it didn't work? Nothing worked. It, so he just still felt suffering? Like, How did he know it didn't work is the question. He was in anguish. Okay. He was in existential anguish. You know, humans suffer a different kind of suffering. Animals suffer if you hurt them, right? Physically hurt them. But they don't have questions like, what's the meaning of life? What does it all mean? Right. <laughs> uh, what happens you know, when you die? That's exclusively uh, for humans. That's exclusively for humans. Who am I? And does God exist? Um, if God exists, why should God, he, she, it care about us? Are we just a speck of dust in a mindless void in the junkyard of infinity? Mm -hmm. Is there any meaning, purpose? These are human questions, right? So he had them, as have humans, ever since they became self-aware. They have asked these questions. So here's what happens. He's sitting under a tree all by himself, and he was watching his breath, which is now called mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And what he realized is that the breath arises and it falls by itself. And... 
he also realized you can't hold on to it. If you hold on to it, you suffocate. Then he watched the sensations in his body and he saw the same thing. They arise, they subside. Mm. He looked around and everything that was there was changing. He looked at his own body and he realized it wasn't the body he had as a baby or a child. It too was changing. So he came to his first conclusion. If it is of the nature of arising, it is also of the nature of subsiding, which is the first dharma seal. It's called everything. Say that word, the first what seal? Dharma. Dharma, dharma D-H-A-R-M-A. Got it. That everything in the relative world is impermanent. And... What you're trying to hold on to can't be held on to. Whether it's a sensation, image, feeling, thought, perception, your body, your mind, your personality. Mm -hmm. It's ungraspable. So the relative is impermanent. Then he also, from that, he came to the conclusion the separate self doesn't exist. Meaning? A separate self. So you, I, Mike, Mike Posner. Posner, Deepak Chopra, your friend Megan. The separate self doesn't exist. You're a composite of everybody else, ultimately. Those, first of all, who are close to you, friends, family. But ultimately, you're not separate from anything in the entire universe. Meaning like, so for me... I, I remember reading a Titnat Han book. Han, and yeah. I pronounced that correctly. Yeah, Titnat Han. And, and he illustrated that. Good friend that. of ours, by the way. I'm good. He yeah. illustrated that in a really concise and beautiful way, which was, I think he was talking about the sun. He was, and he was saying, your son, the sun is as much your heart as your heart is. Mm-hmm. If the sun's a foot farther away, you die. And or if the ma- universe is not mathematically tuned to mm. the endless decimal point we wouldn't be having this conversation right and so the tendency i just want to distinguish like the tendency is for a human to at least for me for most of my life i'm in this world but i'm not a part of it i'm it's my job to navigate through the world and figure out how to really beat the world that's how I think most of us are going through it's it. A, I'm not a, saying that's correct. It's a I'm part sorry. of many uh, doctrines and theologies, including Christian theology, to be in the world and not of it, which means to be in the relative but also in the transcendent. So you're right. That means do both at the same time. Yeah. But I think a lot of our culture, we forget the, the transcendent part. It's that's mostly right. like, at least how I spent the first quarter of my life, well, if my life goes 100 years, <laughs> this the first 20-some years of my life was figuring out how to make the world notice me and make, make my mark on the world, which is a really, it's a, it's a metaphor or cliche, make my work mark on the world, but mm-hmm. it's an, a, a one I choose consciously because it's a, a violent, almost a destructive way to be in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's a... Because that which says make my mark on the world doesn't understand who or what I is. Right. And so the big thing is it's it's overlooking how interconnected I am to everything around me. Your friend Thich Nhat Hanh says we are inter-beings yes. that inter-arise in the inter-isness. And that's all there is, the inter-isness. 
He, right, he says there's no there's no such thing as to be. You can only interbe. Interbe. Yeah. So I mean to interrupt you, but I just no, that's yeah. perfect. So that's the second dharma seal. Okay. okay. The separate self does not exist, which these days you could say the ego doesn't exist. It's a socially induced hallucination. Mm. And then the third dharma seal is nirvana is the ultimate reality. Now nirvana, most people when they hear of it, they think they're kind of uh, tripped out on ecstasy or something like that, you know. Or the band. Or the band. <laughs> <laughs> or the band. But nirvana is actually enlightenment. It's going and understanding even what is beyond the interbeingness, the true self. The true self, which has no shape, no form, no color, which uh, is inconceivable, which is unimaginable, which has no location in space, um, which is not in time, and yet is the only reality. That's the true I. When you say I, the Mike Posner is camouflaging the feeling I that has taken on this identity, assumed identity. Through situations, circumstances, event, people, basically the conditioned mind. So before the conditioned mind, there's an I that is shapeless, formless, colorless, timeless, um, spaceless, no form, but without which there would be no form, without which there would be no thought, without which there would be no perception, without which would be no experience. So I, pure consciousness, is without form, but it is now experiencing itself as this form, this form, all that is. I interacts with itself and shows up as both observer and observed, both seer and scenery. Both it's just like seeing itself. Huh? It's just seeing itself as all this. Well, it's like so... To use a metaphor, like you and I right now mm-hmm. are both part of the same I. Correct. So we like are fingers of the same part, hand. Yes, that's very well said. Okay. Fingers of the same hand. They are the same I. This is differentiation. It's not separation. Right? Mm-hmm. Separation is, there's no separation. There's, uh, there's only differentiation in appearance. That's all. So, when you go beyond your conditioned mind, the secret passages and the dark alleys and the ghost philatics of your memories in your mind, you encounter I, which interacting with itself is all this. It's the seer, the scenery, the lover, the beloved, the observer, the observed. It's um, it's also... it's. It's even as it appears, even as it appears, it disappears. So what happened to when you came in a little while ago? It's gone. Right? That moment. That moment is gone. Mm-hmm. What happened to five minutes ago? It's gone. What happened to one second ago? It's gone. So all experience, whatever the experience is, as I said, it's ungraspable. That's why Wittgenstein, the German philosopher, he said, Our life is a dream. We are asleep. But once in a while, we wake up to know enough. We wake up enough to know that we are dreaming. What do we 
wake up to is the presence of being in which all this is happening. And that's the only timeless self. It's eternal. Eternal doesn't mean stretching in time. It means not in time altogether. Mm. So how do you do that? How do you? And, and this is a, a real question, right? Because people have their different models of enlightenment, nirvana, and some people make it like it's this impossible goal that you can only get if you sit in a cave somewhere for 20 or 30 years. Is enlightenment something we all can experience? Yeah, for different people, it's a different means. So here is in one simple sentence, it would be you do that by observing yourself without judging yourself. Now, that's one sentence, but you know, yourself can mean your body, it can mean what's happening inside your body, it can be your thoughts, it can be your emotions, mental space, observing the web of relationship, observing sensory experience. But in one short sentence, if you can observe yourself having an experience, whatever it is, and if you can observe yourself making a choice, I have a word for this, metacognition. Yeah then slowly transformation occurs. The fruit begins to ripen and one day it falls. And is it, is enlightenment, should we think of it as a state of, like a a state of consciousness that can come and it go? It is Or is it, do you get into like an end zone and you're done for the rest of it? Like you made it, you're enlightened and now you don't have to worry there's, about it anymore. There's a going forth and a coming back, a going forth and a coming back. So every, every two steps you take, you come regress one step. And so it's a process, it's a journey. So even when I hear you say that, it feels more attainable. Yes, it is very attainable. Just now, let's talk to all these people and all your listeners. As you guys are listening to us, just turn your attention to that which is listening. You can do it too. Yes, yeah, so is this concern, are we doing meditation right now? It's what? Is this a meditation? This is what is called the direct uh, meditation. Okay. Which means it's it. not even a process. Just turn your attention to that which is listening. Turn your attention to that which is seeing. You want to do a longer meditation? We can do that too. Yeah, I'd love that. I think it would be... Okay. And if, if the people could do it with us, I think yeah. it would be a really beneficial. Okay, so you can keep your eyes open. Otherwise, you know, you won't be able to watch us. And I can close <laughs> mine though, huh? You can. Okay. Or you can do something simpler, which is uh, keep your eyes unfocused. What I call soft eyes. Mm. Soft eyes, you know? Half open if you want. Yeah, that's good. And now, um, uh, let's do what the Buddha did. Just observe the breath. It's a coming and a going. And a arising and a subsiding. And you don't have to do anything. Just observe it. And as you observe it, it'll spontaneously slow down. Breath is the movement of consciousness. 
It's also the movement of thought. It's also the movement that we call time. And now uh, you can keep soft eyes, but bring your awareness into the area of your heart. And mentally ask the question, who am I? Ask the question a few times. Don't go looking for answers. Just ask the question and let go. If any sensations, images, feelings and thoughts come, just observe them like clouds in the sky. Who am I? And now ask the question, what do I want? What do I want? And just allow any sensations, images, feelings, or thoughts to spontaneously come to you. And now maybe you can ask a third question. What is my purpose? What is my purpose? Once again, allowing any sensations, images, feelings, or thoughts to arise and subside. Final question, what am I grateful for? What am I grateful for? Allowing any sensations, images, feelings or thoughts to come to you. Let's move to the next phase of our meditation. Mentally, start to repeat your full name to yourself. So, you could be saying, I am Mike Posner. All of you who are listening, you could do the same. I am, and then your first name and your last name. Just mechanically. Okay, now you can stop repeating your full name, but allow your awareness to fill up now with all the things on your mind. So many things happening, all the things you have to do, all the issues and problems, work, money, relationships. So much is happening in your life. Invite them all.
to fill up your awareness. Let's do that for a minute. Shouldn't be difficult. Okay, now let go of your last name and just uh, allow yourself to repeat only your first name. I am Mike, I am Deepak, I am Megan. Just the first name. A few times. And this time, Allow your awareness to fill up with any experiences from when you were a child. Maybe teenager, but even going back further. Any experiences when you were less than 12 years old. Whatever they are. Perhaps you can see your parents, your classroom, your bedroom, your siblings birthdays let your awareness fill up with memories of childhood and now Drop your first name and just repeat, I am. No name, no name attached to it. No experience attached to it. No form attached to it. Just I am. This time, as you repeat, I am, let thoughts and memories fade out. I am. If you want, you can replace I am with a mantra. Perhaps you've received a mantra from the past, from some other teacher. If you don't have a mantra, you can just say Aham, Aham. It's more primordial. It's just a sound. Beyond the thought, just the sound. Aham. Aham, aham. Finally, let go of the mantra and just rest in awareness. Rest in being. Rest in existence. This is our true self, being. Awareness. Existence. Being has no shape, no form, no race, no religion, no nationality.
Your true self is also the self of the universe. So just rest in being. And before we come out of this meditation, just feel your body, feel the sensations in your body. Come back to this place in time, in this location, wherever you are. And you can now slowly open your eyes or just be here now. So, Mike, that's a short generic experience. We can, of course, elaborate on this. There are nuances to this. You can add subtle intentions. But what you slowly begin to realize is your true self is infinite possibilities. It's it's really profound huh? because we we said a lot of words before we did that. Right. But they were all, like the metaphor I like to use, I've said to you before, is our words are all fingers pointing at the moon. They're not the moon. They are. So when we did that, I felt like I was being that, living right. that, not you just know, talking about it. Rumi, you know Rumi, the great Sufi poet? He said, God's language is silence. Everything else is poor translation. Mm. And for a listener, how... Should they have a daily practice? What is your daily practice? If you have one, like, has it? I'm sure it's changed. Well, over yeah, the years. it's changed over the years. Remember, I'm much older than you, so I look, um, I look at, um, I feel like a traveler in a train with a lot of baggage, and so every time the train stops, I drop some baggage off, mm. and before the final station, I want to have no baggage at all. Okay. And so, like me personally, I meditate. I do the transcendental meditation, and I know yeah. you've w- you have. Yeah, that's my he's the my Maharishi. teacher, Maharishi. Um, that's me with him. I'd love there. to talk more about him, but before we go there, I do that twice a day, twenty minutes. That's good. Should the listeners? What? Let's say you're you're eighteen. You're twenty years old. You're listening to this podcast. You're a young boy, young girl, or young man, young woman. What should they do? What should you do? What should okay, you be doing? Okay, so with here's your life? what you can do, guys. No matter what else you're doing, take five minutes to observe your breath, feel your body. That's not difficult, right? Every day. Every day. Yeah. Five minutes. Close your eyes, observe your breath, feel your body, and just ask two questions. If you want the four questions we went: Who am I? What do I want? What's my purpose? What am I grateful for? Don't worry about the answers, as the saying goes. Live the questions, and life will move you into the answers. That's a good way to start. Mm. And what 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 does it mean to? How can they not waste their life? A young person, if you're eighteen, you're twenty years old. What, trying to figure out what to do. Like at twenty, I remember I was trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. 
And then what criteria should someone like that use to make that decision? Should be thinking about others? I know how I think about it now, but do you have any advice for some Imposed morality is hypocrisy. All imposed morality mm-hmm. is jealousy with a halo. It's cunning hypocrisy. So don't try to be good. Don't try to be moral. Um, be natural. But at the same time, uh, don't be a biological robot. Don't uh, rush to conform, which is what uh, we do. Everybody's rushing to be like everybody else. Find out what you're good at, your unique uh, talents, your unique um, expression, as uh, the poet Rumi said. Mm-hmm. I want to sing like birds sing, not worrying who listens or what they think. Okay, so sing your song and then give it as a gift to the world and you'll get everything you want. But also commit to something bigger than yourself. You know, be authentic, which means be yourself, be natural. Don't pretend to be holier than thou. That's a big danger in spiritual traditions and ashrams and spiritual spiritual, uh, you know, groups. They're all being very nice and that's called mood making. They're making a mood <laughs> and that's not real. Just be yourself and be authentic. Uh, if you promise to deliver something, do it. We call that integrity. Honor your word and uh, then commit yourself to something bigger than your little ego identity and um, you'll be all set. And it's funny when you do that, at least I found in my life, when you commit yourself to something outside of your little ego, somehow all the things you wanted for your little ego show up. They show up, yeah. It's called synchronicity. Yeah. Synchronicity. I wanted to ask you, so when you're talking about the mood mood making? Yeah, it's a big deal. (laughs) And every spiritual group I've been to, they're being Mm -hmm. so nice. That, and so positive that it's exasperating. I get kind of, I want to run out. <laughs> How do you deal with, you obviously, I mean, I'm looking at your wall, your pictures with President Obama, Michelle Obama, Michael Jackson. I know you've done a lot of work with Oprah. My kids. Your kids, There's of Oprah also <laughs> up there. <laughs> yeah, and so... If she married me, she'd be Oprah Chopra. <laughs> <laughs> so my question is, you obviously are someone who is recognized a lot of accolades and i'm sure um credit you people tell you you're good a lot how do you not let that you never take your press seriously uh-huh. and make Even sure on a you, personal s- level, uh, you sure. make sure you surround yourself by two or three people that don't take you seriously my kids don't take me seriously <laughs> my wife doesn't <laughs> take me seriously that's good enough uh-huh. You That's should be grounded. You yeah. know, you should be grounded. Otherwise, you start to believe in what everybody thinks you are. You're not what everybody thinks you are. You are you. You're the universe, actually. Right. Yeah, th- th- when you say that, it reminds me of the Bhagavad Gita. I read mm-hmm. this book early this year mm-hmm. and is a powerful text. Correct. And I might be wrong, but I don't think, at least in my translation, there ever is the word god but there is the word self mm-hmm. with a capital s mm-hmm. right and so it's it's 
kind of what you were talking about. Yeah, earlier. the self of the individual is the self of the universe, but that self is not the conditioned mind. Okay, otherwise, every thought that you have, by the way, not every thought, because you're a creator, you write songs, that's different. Our great artists have originality, as do great scientists. But 99% of people don't have an original thought. It's recycled, conditioned mind, mm. which has been going on for thousands of years. So all those thoughts in your head, they don't belong to you. Just say next. Let it go. Doing something, getting involved in something bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. is. Can we talk about what you were mentioning earlier, about what, what you're beginning to focus your attention on? Well, I'm focusing my attention on three things. One is unraveling reality. Completely and totally, for myself, I think I'm pretty close to that fruit falling. But then I want to unravel it for anyone who seriously wants to get to know what is reality. Yeah. Because, as I said before, if you can see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, think about it, conceptualize it, imagine it, it's not real. It's an evanescent fluctuation of the real reality, which is your true self, which we spoke about. Mm -hmm. I want to do that. Uh, for before I get off the last station on the train, and, and you feel like you have a little more work to do personally, and then I, yeah, I do it every day. Yeah. so it's it's what I'm obsessed by. The second thing I want to do is I'm finding evidence that 95 percent of all disease in the world, all disease, cancer, heart disease, autoimmune disease diabetes, metabolic syndrome, you name it, is linked directly or indirectly to inflammation. Inflammation, low-grade inflammation in the mind, in the brain, in the body, and in our behavior, including violence and war and terrorism. These are not criminal activities. These are illnesses. You know, and these are recycled. Abused children become abusing, become abusive as they grow up. People who are exposed to violence become violent. So I want to tackle inflammation, not alone, with huge collaborations of artists, scientists, biologists, and uh, neuroscientists. We have an extensive network of people who have done research on inflammation. I have collected now 75,000 scientific citations on it. Most of the world is unaware of this. I want to create a global movement to monitor inflammation, measure inflammation, prevent it, treat it, reverse it, hopefully create a critical mass, or I shouldn't say I want to create a critical mass. Oui. I want to see the critical mass emerge. Mm -hmm. um, and that could lead to a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, joyful and world. So we... We we talked a little bit about this in New York when I was telling this telling the story at night mm -hmm. of on Christmas Day, nineteen fourteen, when you have the French and That's British right. on one That's side a great and the story. Germans on the other side, and they're in the middle of World War One, and they stop fighting for one day. They exchange gifts and they even play a couple games of soccer in some places, and so it's it seems like 
what what you're talking about it seems like we as humans while we certainly have the capacity to do some pretty malevolent things it seems like we can have the capacity to not kill each other like that, that that's possible your enemy is yourself in a different uniform mm. there's no difference between you and that which you call your enemy in fact if you want to get rid of your enemy increase their capacity for well-being and happiness for they them for them for them yeah they won't be your enemies the fastest way to get rid of an enemy <laughs> is to make them happy so I think and it, healthy <laughs> i think it's really serendipitous we meet maybe not ser- synchronistic yeah, is synch- that a word synchronistic, synchronistic. yes um that we meet today cuz what i'm working on right now is creating a song like your friend Michael did, where we all as art, the artist community, mm-hmm. where I can enroll them to all do a song. And I want the song to spread awareness for International Day of Peace, which is September 21st. Nobody knows that because... Yeah, we just celebrated it in New York. Right. I did with the UN. But let's do it next year at the UN with your song. Tomorrow or next year, tomorrow. Next year, I want to throw a big concert. Let's do it. But maybe we have you speak or whatever. Speak. But yeah. that song and that concert should go global. They, we, you should do it also at the United Nations mm-hmm. and uh, Central Park. Uh, you know, for whoever wants to join, so we can all commit to peace, social justice, economic justice, sustainability, health, joy, happiness for everyone. And this is. Getting the ball rolling on this, this critical mass. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the only thing that will change the world. Critical mass of consciousness. Mm. By the way, his last album, uh, you I heard... Thank you uh, for listening. ...was like, uh, yeah. amazing. So go to his <laughs> website or what... Thank what you. what website? No, what's the last album? What's the it last called? album's called At Night Alone. At Night Alone, and, it's and on the next one is Day and Night with Everyone. <laughs> I want to ask one more question. Yes, or maybe not. Just a prompt. Hmm. Tell me about the Maharishi. Where you met? Go from there. How did he I met Maharishi in 19, early 1980. Um, I um, was invited to a conference, and the conference was very boring. He was speaking at the conference. I found it terribly boring, <laughs> so I made an excuse to get out and go to the restroom. And then as I was coming out, he was coming out of the conference, and I guess he spotted me as the only Indian over there. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, come up and speak to me in my room. And I said, um, I have to take a plane. I was trying to get out of the situation. <laughs> you didn't want uh, to. I didn't want to. The conference was boring, by the way. Okay. Too much talking, everybody, and all this. So, um, But then I had to be polite, so I went up to the room and he said, uh, what I, What do you do? I said, I'm a doctor. He said, what kind? I said, uh, uh, neuroendocrinologist. What's that mean? Brain chemistry and okay. brain hormones. If I've spent all my training uh, first doing internal medicine, endocrinology, which is hormones, 
and then neuroendocrinology, the hormones in the brain. And uh, he said, uh, I would like you to study uh, Vedanta and Ayurveda and all this. Okay. And just for listeners, that's like, what is that? Vedanta and Ayurveda. Uh, Vedanta originally means the end of all knowledge. That's the meaning. And Ayurveda is a branch of that aspect of knowledge which deals with well-being and health. So I asked him the same question. Mm -hmm. He gave me some similar answer. I said, oh yeah, and I left. And um, I went to uh, take the train back to Boston. I was at that time working in Boston at many hospitals, institutions connected to BU and Tufts and Harvard, all of that. And then at the at the um, airport, um, I met an old friend from medical school who was in Australia, actually. He's an Australian uh, who I had met in India as a visiting scholar. And he gave me a little book on Ayurveda, synchronistically speaking. <laughs> so it was small, simple, and I read it on the flight back from Washington to Boston, and I knew this was real. How? Uh, just resonated with me at the level of being. That you know. Was it a physical sensation, or yeah, even deeper than that? Deeper than that. So I took the flight back. Uh, to so before that, you're a pretty like scientific. I still am. I have sci- a but meaning like a or would you consider yourself spiritual before that in your life? Vaguely. Vaguely. Yeah, vaguely. So then I went back to Washington and I wanted to see him and they said he was busy mm-hmm. and that, uh, you know, um, he wouldn't be able to see me for two, three days. So I sat outside his door for three days. I didn't go anywhere till he saw me. Did you eat? Some people brought <laughs> me some, you know, sandwiches. This is a real there. like... Um, and then I, uh, finally he saw me and I said, I want to learn everything you have to teach. Is that in a hotel? It's in a when you were hotel in the Washington, D.C. You said, I want to learn everything you have to teach. Yeah. And what did he say? He sent me to India and he sent me to meet many people. And then many years later, you can see that I, I became very close to him. I used to be yeah. called at some point his, his, uh, his boy. His boy? Like yeah. his son? Yeah, almost like yeah. that, yeah. What was the first place he sent you in India? Do you remember? He sent me to apprentice with a great teacher. Who is that? He's no longer alive. He just passed away in his 90s. He was a great uh, healer, Ayurvedic healer. His name was Trigonaji. And was this like at an ashram? He set this like in the mountains? In and out of ashrams, yeah, but also traveling a lot. But when you met that man, I say... That was in... In Delhi, at his clinic, in okay. his in his little place, where he used to just sit by himself, people would line up. He would look at their pulse, and he'd know everything about their life. Everything, just like wh- what do you mean? Like he would know. He, he would know what uh, they were worried about. What like their reading concern, their mind, like everything, and their body. He would know what was wrong with their body, and so and he actually took my pulse. And what did he tell He said, too much thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so, was that the first time you'd seen, like, I mean, that 
Yeah, it was to me, it's like, it's like magic. Yeah, it's complete shift. It's not magic. There's a whole science. Since right. then, I've written books about mm-hmm. the science. It's the science of uh, consciousness and everything that's connected to consciousness, which is ultimately everything. What? What does this all mean? <laughs> it means that we are on a journey of evolution and that evolution is a never-ending horizon. Today we discussed enlightenment, but I don't think that's the end of the journey. No, okay, interesting. Because once you're uh, you're tapped into or plugged into the field of infinite possibilities, then you expand your horizon. And as I said, horizons never end. When you get to the horizon, there's another one. So I don't think human evolution is it. Uh, in fact, I'm writing a book right now. It's called Meta-Human. Mm. What does it mean to be beyond human? Uh, um, I keep quoting my favorite guy, Rumi, the Sufi poet. Yeah. He says, when I die, I will soar with the angels. But when I die to the angels, what I shall become, you cannot imagine. To the angels... Even the angels are not, they're the next step for you and me. And then there's another thing. The meta angels. Meta angels. Wow. Whatever we want to call them. This is resonating with me because I think the line of our discussion today was a lot of me asking you to like describe the path towards the end zone for lack of a better. Like describe the path towards the end, which is enlightenment. And now you're telling me, well, that's not really the end. So that's, <laughs> I need to sit with that. Once you're grounded in infinite possibilities, there are infinite possibilities to experience, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, makes sense. So consciousness, in order to experience itself, has to become conscious to itself. So when consciousness gets becomes conscious to itself, it sees a range of possibilities to experience, right? And if it is infinite possibilities, then there are infinite experiences. And is the is the trip, I mean, if we are everything and we're, we're already enlightened, right? And some... It's covered up, like, the, you know, like the clouds overshadow the sun, as you said the other day. It's kind of like just just realizing you're enlightened, which you already are. You already are, yeah. But it's overshadowed. You know, as I said, the conditioning goes thousands of years, including religious conditioning, philosophical conditioning, theological conditioning, scientific conditioning. That leads to constructs. And the constructs then are the basis of the stories, and then Mm -hmm. we live out those stories. We call it life. But um, if you want, there are infinite stories there well even this as we talk right and if, if it's in language it's a construct right absolutely so almost like a disclaimer should go out with the conversation yes. like we this is not reality we're just talking about it that's it and i f- and i felt that when we ac- when we meditated it there was a big difference between being in it and talking yeah. about it yep huge difference day yeah. and night yeah, day and night. There's being, there's feeling, there's thinking, reflecting, speaking, and doing. But most of our society is caught up in doing and 
thinking and restless thinking mm. um, with no time to be. To be. Is there anything else we should add? Dooby dooby doo. Do and be. Do and be. Yes. Dooby dooby doo. Dooby dooby doo. <laughs> we can put that in our song. Right? Okay. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. This it was great to have you. But come again. Right. You, you, I might be way outside your door. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Teach me everything you know. <laughs> okay. All good. Take care. God bless. Peace, and if you enjoyed this, share it with your friends. Spread the word. <laughs>